James, the fourth chapter. I read to you verses 8 through 10. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Amen. Amen. Let's hear the Word of God and James again. Verse 8, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Amen. I hope that the time spent last Lord's Day and this morning have given us the reason for why we need this subject. And I hope that in a few minutes, I can share with you a few things that you can do to meet the terms of coming to the Lord and the Lord coming to you that the Bible gives us. And the place that I would like you to remember first is James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. What's at stake here? The Laodiceans thought that all was well. Remember, they thought they were rich. They thought they had great vision. They thought they were well clothed. And Jesus Christ said they were wretched, miserable, naked, poor, and blind. Jesus offered to come in and sup with any man. This is at stake. It's Revelation 3.20. How do we open the door and have the Lord Jesus Christ come in? Ephesus could be filled with all the fullness of God, Paul taught them in the verses that we considered this morning. That's at stake. Most Christians are never taught this, and they never obtain this. They're not taught it, and they don't get it, they don't realize it, they don't enjoy it in their lives. What should we do to obtain and maximize this fellowship that we've learned from Revelation chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 3? Here we go, James chapter 4. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Hardly anything else needs to be said. You need to go after the Lord. You need to draw nigh to Him. He will do His part. He will respond to you opening the door after you hear His voice. This promise is exactly what we are looking for. The how-to of God's Word. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. No other important person is going to respond to you as surely as this promise given in James 4.8. You can go camp out on Pennsylvania Avenue and I can promise you something. He's not going to draw nigh to you. You can light a candle and uh, say write poems about the president. He's never going to draw nigh to you. No important person thinks that you drawing near to them is very precious at all. But the Lord does. This promise that is in this line right here, this promise must be believed, it must be claimed, it must be enjoyed, and it must be applied. And it's applied by you drawing nigh to Him. Just believe it. It's a promise. 
It's more sure than gravity. Jesus proved that gravity isn't true. Believe this. You say, when did Jesus prove that gravity wasn't true? Well, it's Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Have you read the Acts of the Apostles? He just rose up out of their sight. He didn't need oxygen either. It is simple, but most will not do it. Run to God by any means. What would you do if you had to run to God and I didn't say another word to you? Would it involve prayer? Would it involve begging? Would it involve your knees? Would it involve Scripture? Would it involve fasting? You already know these things. Run to Him. You know what you would do to someone if you wanted to repair a relationship with them. You would run to them and apologize and confess your errors and your faults and you would beg to restore the relationship to what it once was and you would say, what can I do to get us back to where we were? Why would you do that to another human? Another person? And not do it with the Lord? Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. And then He tells us how to do that. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. God will not visit those that are playing with sin. The Lord's hand is not shortened. His eye is not, his ears are not stopped up that he can't hear you, but your iniquities separate between you and your God, it says in Isaiah. And it says other things in other places. Consider how often and how God did often leave Israel when they sinned. You've read the Old Testament. How many times did God leave them? Consider how God left Saul when he sinned. You know, it's sins that separate us from God. This is so important. It's so fundamental. It's so simple. It's so basic. You've got to confess your sins in order to draw nigh to God. The first thing after saying, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you, James wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, cleanse your hands. Where are you sinning in your life? Where are you not doing exactly what God has taught you in His Word that you ought to be doing? You'll never have this relationship that's been taught three sermons leading into this one for yourself. Fellowship requires you to be in the light because He is in the light. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. Our God is light and you must be in the light to have fellowship with Him that is in the light. Brethren, this is relatively easy if you'll be convicted and humble yourself before God to confess your sins, repent of your sins, repudiate them, and reform your life. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which makes us immediately ready again for fellowship with God. And when we sin again, we do it again. He understands that. You say, well, how can He forgive me when I keep sinning? Because Jesus died on the cross. And He's faithful to the death of His Son, though you are not. He will forgive you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. God despises a double mind. They get nothing. James chapter 1 and verse 8 puts it this way. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded person is having two goals. It's having two things that they love. You need to be single-minded. So the warning is, purify your hearts. Get all the impurities out of your heart. Get all the other objects of affection out of your life. Ye double-minded. You want to serve God and serve mammon. You want to have the good things of Christ, and you want to have the good things of the world. God will not allow it. He's jealous and will not allow it. No wonder David prayed for God to unite his heart. 
Psalm 8611 is not a prayer for this church to be united in the 140, 120, 100 hearts that make it up, depending on what part of the church we're looking at. This is one man's heart. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Unite my heart. Because our hearts want to run in different directions. Do do you all know that? Mine does. You purify your heart by rejecting any hypocrisy. Purify it. It's something you can do. You get rid of hypocrisy in religion. You come in here and you're totally sincere. You purify your heart by flushing any competing affections. What else do you want that's important enough to you that it distracts your minds and thoughts and it's not entirely subordinate to your desire to have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ of heaven? You've got to get rid of it. That's how you purify your heart. He knows your heart. He knows my heart better than you or I know our hearts. So we better come clean before Him. He knows if you love something more than Him. He knows if seeking Him, if praying, if reading, is, if coming to these assemblies is a burden, is a chore, is a bore to you. He knows all that. You'll never know Him. You'll never know the love of Christ that was taught in Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 9, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. God expects seriousness for this, His greatest blessing to you. He expects you to afflict yourself. This is a choice. Be afflicted. This is not God afflicting you. This is you afflicting you. Be afflicted. Mourn. Weep. These three verses, and I don't preach personal experience, these three verses are very important. You know the role of fasting for great needs. The father of the lunatic. The apostles couldn't cast the the, the devils out of his son. And Jesus explained, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. There needs to be a serious effort about this matter. Would you fast for anything else but not for this? Any deficiency in fellowship. If you have not enjoyed what I preached last Lord's Day, Sermon 1, Sermon 2, and today, Sermon 1, you should do this. Your love and desire for God should elicit be afflicting yourself and mourning and weeping that you do not have that in your life. Most Christians never consider such efforts for fellowship. Who in the world today is preaching that Christians ought to be afflicted, Christians ought to mourn, and Christians ought to weep? They're telling you, listen, are there laughter revivals going on in the North American continent right now for the last 25 years? Laughing revivals among the charismatics and the Pentecostals. They're rolling on the, they're rolling all over the, the assembly places. There are people running around with blankets throwing over them because the ladies are exposing themselves in a laughing revival. They're drunk in the spirit is what they call it. They have barking revivals. They're crawling around and barking like dogs. You know, they all want to be happy in Jesus. But if you're going to be happy in Jesus, you need to mourn for the fact that you haven't been walking with Jesus. If you're going to be happy in Jesus, you need to afflict yourself because you've been happy with things that are far less than Jesus. So it says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Those are wonderful words of help to us. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Laodicea was a laughing and a happy church until Jesus spoke, weren't they? They thought everything was fine if you were with me last Lord's Day. There is a time to replace earthly joy with heavenly sorrow. 
And that is sorrow that you have not been pleasing the Lord like you could and should. If you're happy, if you are happy while lacking in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in serious danger. Either God is going to chasten you very badly, very sorely, or you're not even a child of God. If you can be happy in this world all the time and not have a close relationship with the Lord... Now, if you can be partially happy in the world and you've got this nagging conscience that tells you that you are selling the Lord short, that you are cheating Him, that you are cheating His Word, and you're always empty after you experience or enjoy some of the things that give you happiness, that's a good sign. But I'm going to tell you, God doesn't leave that feeling of conviction in your conscience there forever. He will take it away. Use it. Let your la- These are God's words. And do you know what they follow? Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. The Lord tells us how to do it. And it works. There is a time to turn your life upside down for Christ's sake. You get so wrapped up in the things that you're doing of eating and drinking and clothing and housing and schooling and work. But there is something above that and beyond that. And if you're going to structure your life, then structure it to seek the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. We humble ourselves by a broken and a contrite heart, and that sacrifice God will not despise. Psalm 51, verse 17. We get down to admit our foolishness and to admit our total need of Him, and that without Him we are lost on the sea of humanity. We are lost in the universe because we need Him. If Job had humbled himself earlier, his trial would have ended earlier. If you cannot admit that you are selfish and sinful, you're lost. I can't help you. God is absolutely and perfectly right in every requirement that He's given to us, and so it should be easy to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and to say, Lord, You are right, and I am wrong, and I will do it Your way. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. God will never leave the truly repentant groveling for long. Oh no, not the God of heaven. John fell at His feet as dead. And we often refer to that fact right here in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17. But did Jesus lift him up and say, fear not? Did the Lord of glory lift him up and say, fear not? Oh yes, he did. The purpose for the humility is to gain him. And he will come to the humble. Because it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. No matter the depth of your mourning, he can overwhelm you with joy. You say, well, what if I get so sad and so burdened about my sins as I unload them to the Lord, I could really get myself in trouble. Are you kidding me? Who are you talking to and why are you talking like that? That isn't coming from the Lord. That isn't even coming from a neutral party. That's coming from the devil. He will lift you up. He'll exalt you in due time, Peter would say it, right here in 1 Peter chapter 5, because God resists the proud, but He will exalt the humble. There's the first passage I want to give you. That's the passage I don't want you to forget. That's the passage I want you to think about putting into your life. And you know, when I say think about it, I mean get very serious about it and do it. James 4, 8 through 10. Let's go to another place. This is from last Lord's Day, 319. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. 
Be zealous, therefore, and repent, is what the Lord Jesus Christ would say, the verse that leads into Revelation 3.20. God is a God of zeal. That is fervent intensity. That is passionate earnestness. Seek Him that way. He expects that. He is the one that said zealous, because He's zealous. And this matter is the most important matter of your existence. If the downside is as bad as stated in verses 14 through 18 of Revelation chapter 3, zeal is called for. If the upside is as good as stated in chapter 3 and verse 20, zeal is called for. You should be giving it everything you possibly can. Repent. Repent and save David. Was David guilty of aggravated adultery and murder? Did it save him? Was he still the standard that God measured men by? Did God still love David? Was David still God's favorite? Was the Lord Jesus Christ still the son of David, even after aggravated adultery and murder? How? Why? Repentance. Repentance. Ye have altogether cleared yourselves in these matters. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and chapter 2, Did Ahab repent? Did it save him for a while? Yes. Did Manasseh repent? Did God bring him out of the prison of Babylon and back to his throne? Did Nineveh repent? Did it save them the fiery judgment of God? God is a God of zeal. You will be blessed based on effort. If you want to take it as a ho-hum thing, that you're going to add another sentence into your prayer before meals. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. May Jesus come in. Amen. No, it's not going to work. So don't be surprised if the Lord turns you over to the devil that afternoon after you pray that way for breakfast. You say the Lord would never turn a child of God over to the devil. Ask Peter if the Lord would ever turn a child of God over to the devil. Ask David. Why did David number Israel? Because God turned him over to Satan. Did God leave Hezekiah to see what was in his heart? Don't you pray that way. You better be zealous. We better be zealous about this matter. Another verse, Revelation 2.5. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're in your Bible, in the red writing. They are to the church at Ephesus. The church that we're talking about this morning. We were talking about. Remember, repent, and do the first works. Ephesus was a great church, but they had lost their first love for the Lord Jesus Christ. The warning was severe. They would lose their candlestick if they did not do this protocol for getting back in fellowship with the Lord. It's number one, to remember. Remember where you once were. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Consider how you have lost your first love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, to repent for having fallen. And number three, do the first works. Start again with things that lovers do, but this is for the Lord. What is a person who is sold out to the Lord? What's he like? He's like Mary, who sits at the feet of Jesus and wants to hear every word from her. He's like Saul. What did Saul of Tarsus do for three days after he was met on the road to Damascus by the Lord Jesus Christ? I need help. Prayed. When the Lord appeared to Ananias and said, there's a man that you need to go baptize, behold, he prayeth. Another verse, Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, And ye shall seek me and find me. I like that. When ye shall search for me with all your heart. When ye shall search for me with all your heart. In case you missed it, 
You must draw nigh with all your heart. In case you missed it, this is an all-out effort to draw nigh. In case you missed it, there can be no competitors to him. What is competing in your life? Is it spouse? Is it house? Is it job? Is it profession? Is it finances? Is it children? All ridiculous substitutes for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you care about any of those people with true care and true love, you will want to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ because then God's blessing will be upon you and your family and your profession and your house like you heard from Psalm 128 this morning. Searching, searching seldom has instant results. So keep seeking. Search for me with all your heart. He's not a bubblegum machine. You don't put in a quarter and get a big piece of bubblegum. Keep searching. Search for me with all your heart. That wouldn't be doing with all your heart because your heart wouldn't have been pressed at all if he immediately responded. He will respond, and he will respond quickly to the degree of zeal and love you show for him. I'm glad that we're able to sing in this church and we did this morning, let others after earth aspire. Christ is the treasure I desire. That's treasure hunting. That's searching for the Lord Jesus Christ. Another verse, Isaiah 59 and verse 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. This is how you approach the Lord and draw nigh to him. Confess your sins with a broken heart. Confess all. It could be bitterness, it could be covetousness, it could be slothfulness, and it could be a thousand other sins. Confess them all. Come clean. Be contrite. Sorrowful. Grieving. Be humble. Broken. Admitting that God is right and repudiating that your sins did not bring you pleasure or fulfillment. This cannot be overstated. So examine yourself. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Because this is so important, you need God to point out to you where you're sinning, that you may not even be aware of it. So it involves some self-examination with the Lord's help. Yet, when you confess your sins, you need to believe that God faithfully forgives, because He does. If you wallow in those sins without believing that Jesus Christ paid for them, you're not going to know the Lord Jesus Christ either. Because that's not drawing nigh to Him. That's believing that you're still outside the camp. And until you've done enough penance, you don't have the right to come on in to Jesus. That is so wrong. That is so perverse. That is so twisted. Jesus already paid for your sins with payments that you'll never be able to match, make, or even come close to. We don't believe in penance in this church. Penance is one of the seven sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church. Another verse, Psalm 101 and verse 2. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? But notice how that request for God to draw nigh to David is sandwiched by David's commitment. After confession, then commitment should be made. After commitment, then begging prayer is made. I will behave myself in a perfect way. David said in the first sentence of this verse. In the third sentence, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. And in between, 
Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? There's the cry for God to draw nigh. And David's psalms are, are filled with examples of him asking for the Lord to draw nigh to him again. Pray for the Holy Spirit as even Jesus himself taught in Luke eleven thirteen. That is when Jesus said, If ye being sinful fathers know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Luke 11, verse 13. Another verse. Numbers 14 and verse 17. Do you know all these verses? Do you know all these verses because of experience of using them with the Lord to draw nigh to Him? I just want to tell you, they all work. And now I beseech thee, this is Moses speaking to the Lord, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying. And Moses reminded God of a promise that he had made when he revealed his glory to him, that he was gracious and merciful, long-suffering and forgiving sin. This is Moses interceding on behalf of Israel, who said they couldn't take the land of Canaan. I don't want to get distracted. I just want you to notice these words. According as thou hast spoken, when you go to the Lord, take his word with you. When going to God... Take his own words to him. One brother has already stood, a son, in this assembly and said that when he's running out of words or feels that his words are being redundant, the Lord led him to other words. See, that's how the Lord leads. All of a sudden, a song popped into his head. You say, how do you know it was the Lord? Because of what the song says. It's very easy to know it's the Lord. But there's scripture that you can take, or a song. The words of that song were just about perfect, weren't they? They were a sermon in themselves. Take his words, because Moses did it to the Lord. Moses, one of God's favorite five intercessors, was a master at reasoning and prayer. Hezekiah put a letter before God. I want to ask you something. Take a text like Revelation 3.20, and read it to God in prayer. Do you pray on your knees with a Bible open? Do you read the Word of God to the Lord? Moses did. Hezekiah put a letter before the Lord. Did they get great answers to their prayers? Read the Word of God to them. Sometimes you may be at a loss for words. Read Revelation 3.20 as it is. Then put yourself in it. Then ask the Lord to do that for you. Then beg the Lord Jesus Christ to fulfill it and to come in while you read Him the verse again. He loves His Word. He's magnified His Word above all His name. Claim His promises by His integrity and by the written words that you have from Him. This is how Moses did it. This is how Hezekiah did it. I'm giving you a little secret from God's Word on how to approach God when you're not sure what to say. Take some of the verses. Take, draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Read it to Him with your eyes open. Where does it say in the Bible you're supposed to close your eyes when you pray? It does say to kneel, but I haven't read where it says to close your eyes. Read the Word of God to Him. He loves His Word. He will stand behind His Word. Heaven and hell will disappear, but my words shall not pass away. Do you understand that? Hell's not going to disappear. I meant heaven and earth. Forgive me. That's why you got to read. 
See? Memory doesn't work as well as it should. But the Word of God's in writing. Here's another verse. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, calling upon God, and calling upon God, calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You know, I'm so sick of the Charismatics and the Pentecostals for ruining the name of Jesus, but we can't let that bother us. Jesus knows when we're calling upon Him in sincerity and in truth. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit are the words that I want you to get out of this verse. But I also want you to notice that calling upon God, He was praying, and then He addressed the Lord Jesus directly. All that counts is the Word of God. Personal testimonies are only confirming. I'm just telling you, this is what the Word of God tells you to do. Calling upon God and then addressing Jesus Christ personally. We ordinarily pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus. But Stephen added a direct request to Jesus when he was calling on God. When you go in prayer with Revelation 3.20, ask Jesus directly to fulfill that verse in your life. Charismatics and Jewish gypsies, Acts 19, abuse his name, but so what? We can use his name properly. And remember, in Acts chapter 9, in the road to Damascus, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He didn't say, Our Father in heaven, what would Jesus want me to do? He just said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And who met him on the road to Damascus? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who art thou, Lord? I am God the Father. I am Jesus. Oh, these are so simple, but they're so sweet. Are these things sweet? They're in the Bible. It's, it's telling us how to do it. Here's the lunatic again. Mark 9, 23. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. So when the Bible says, Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you, what do you need to do with that? Believe it. If thou canst believe. This exchange also took place with the lunatic's father. He's the one that Jesus said, This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. All things are possible by faith. Nothing is possible without faith. James chapter 1, verse 6, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Four sermons. Using a new method to try to press the Word of God into your minds so that you will believe that this is what the Bible teaches. Because if thou canst believe, all things are possible. Filled with all the fullness of God sounds impossible to me. But I believe it. And I know it. And I love him for it. Lovers, ask for your trust. Trust me. I will never leave you. Trust me. I will always love you. The greatest lover asks, believe. Would you actually believe someone else that would tell you with tears dripping out of their eyes, I will always love you? Are you kidding me? Let God be true. Help me out. My memory just lost it. Let God be true, but every man a liar. Are you kidding me? That you would lay hold of words from another self-eliminating sack of water, and yet you have trouble believing God? It's wonderful to say I love you to a person. It's wonderful to say I will always love you. 
knowing that you're not responsible for anything beyond three minutes. But listen, the Lord's words are so much weightier. Please don't think that the next time I tell you that I love you. I'm just reminding you about you and the frailty of human nature. If weak, if you're weak, then do what the father of the lunatic did. You may not have liked me reading James 1, 6, and 7 that says if you waver and you're not steady in faith, you'll get nothing from the Lord. The lunatic had that fear. The disciples could not cast the devil out of his son. Do you know what he said? He cried with tears. I want to ask you on your knees, have you ever cried with tears and begged him? Lord, I believe Help thou my unbelief. I love that brother. I know him. He knows me because I believe, but I need help with my unbelief. How do you increase your faith? Get into the Word of God and feed on it. Feast on it to increase your faith. And pray for God the Holy Spirit to increase it. Another verse. This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. We're really giving the lunatic and his dad a work over. Matthew 17, 21, fasting. That's what I wanted of this. Prayer for fellowship. Paul prayed in Ephesians 3. It's what I taught you this morning. Is a large part of drawing nigh. Prayer is a large part of drawing nigh. But prayer for large blessings needs fastings. In Acts chapter 13, when you find the teachers in the church that was at Antioch of Syria... They were fasting and praying, and God said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the ministry that I've called to them. That's verse 2. What they do in verse 3, after they'd been praying and fasting in verse 2, prayed and fasted some more. And then the Apostle Paul went out and turned the world upside down. First right. Corinthians 7.5 tells us there's, there's times when husbands and wives shouldn't come together in sexual intercourse because they should be giving themselves to prayer and fasting. First Corinthians 7.5. How did Daniel get an answer of Messiah in Daniel chapter 9? But by fasting. Be honest with God. My dear brothers and sisters, when did you last fast to know Him? I wonder if it works. Yea, hath God said? Or do you think it might? Yea, hath God said? This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting? Recall the rules of Bible fasting. There's a whole outline on the website if you want to know more about fasting. That's just a reminder. Have you ever fasted to let Jesus into your heart to sup with you? If you're getting any other benefit from the fasting, just remember, that isn't zeal. You will not be answered. See, now wait a minute. Can I kill two birds with one stone? Be zealous, therefore, and repent. I'm just, you know, the human mind is pretty twisted. I need to lose a few pounds. The pastor convicted me on Sunday. I'll do both. Then the Lord's going to give you half a measure. Do you understand that? You say, well, then should I feast and pray? Maybe. Just do it to the Lord with all the zeal you can. Look at this verse. We've already been over this verse because I have tried, I have tried to press this verse into your memory. 
Jesus answered and said unto him, Judas, not Iscariot, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. If a man love me, he will keep my words. I've recently used this verse in 1421 with you repeatedly. They're wonderful verses. Jesus was leaving for heaven, but he promised something better. There are two conditions here, loving and obeying. The one follows the other for real love of Christ will obey. Every couple knows this is how it works. Love and comply. If you are trying to enhance a relationship, it's loving and doing what pleases the other person. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. God has loved us from eternity, but there is another level of his love that he will manifest in our hearts when we love and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Quench not the Spirit. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Quench not and grieve not. Did you see the emphasis on the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 3? Strengthened with all might by the Spirit in the inner man. You need the Holy Spirit of God to realize what Paul prayed for, the grant from heaven, for you to be filled with all the fullness of God. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit. The pastor cannot do it by volume. The pastor cannot do it by eloquence. You cannot do it by reading. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. But if you are quenching or grieving the Spirit of God, you are in trouble. These are commandments. Don't do it. Fellowship with God is by the Spirit. Do not offend Him. The Holy Spirit gets offended. Do you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6? If you're coupled with a prostitute, you're going to offend the Holy Spirit because you've brought the Holy Spirit into physical connection with a prostitute. That's the warning in that passage. Corinth was a city of fornicators. Do not offend Him. To quench is to put out a fire. Hot, first love, requires Him. We need the Holy Spirit unfettered in our lives, fully blazing in our hearts and shedding abroad the love of God. But if you quench Him, then you have thrown a bucket of cold water on the fiery flame and sun of righteousness in your heart by the Spirit of God. By sin. A simple sin. A single sin. A sin unconfessed quenches the Spirit of God. A sin grieves offends, hurts, irritates the Spirit of God, thus turning Him away from you. You'll never realize God's best for your life and the fellowship that you can have with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you go ahead and continue in this course of action, you are vexing Him and He will become your enemy. Isaiah 63 and verse 10 teaches that if you offend, grieve, and quench the Holy Spirit long enough, if you resist the Holy Spirit long enough, He will turn to be your enemy. You will never understand anything of what I have preached in two Sundays. The things He loves are well documented. Who's He? The Holy Spirit of God. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You should dive into those things because they're the things He delights in. They're the fruit of the Spirit. You're to put those things on and put off the works of the flesh. Another verse. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another... God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. You cannot see God. See what it says up here? No man hath seen God at any time. You cannot see God, so how can you know that God is in you? 
How can you increase God's presence in you? You can experiment. That's by doing it. By loving others, which has two benefits. Loving others is proof that God is in you, and it will max your fellowship with Him. We all want to know that God's in us. But God is love. And he that dwelleth in God, he that dwelleth in love, dwelleth in God, and God dwelleth in him. And you would be surprised, I do believe, if you were to read 1 John chapters 3, 4, and 5, looking only for this point, that God is love, and when we love others, we are doing something that is very godlike, and God will dwell in us and bless us and confirm through the Spirit that we are his because we are doing what he delights in. Loving others is proof that God is in you and showing His love. This should be self-evident. God is love, and so we must love. And this is what it says. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. Well, what if you don't love others? What if you're kind of selfish and you just kind of neglect others? Well, then God's not going to be in you. And if He's in you by the Holy Spirit, He's going to be offended, grieved, and quenched, and soon to be vexed. Another verse, Micah 6.8. Some of you love this verse. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. What is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? You know, we love Psalm 37.4, where it says to delight in God himself, and he will grant your desires. But you should also be delighting in those things that God delights in. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24 says... For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Remember the importance of love because God is love from the previous slide. You should be sighing where God sighs so He will have mercy. Do you remember the angel with the inkhorn? Ezekiel 9. Do you remember Psalm 119, 136? Rivers. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy commandments. You should be delighting in the things that God delights in. We want to delight in God and we want to delight in the things that He delights in because that is a condition and proof that we are walking with God. Right. Song of Solomon 3.1 By night on my bed I sought Him whom my soul loveth. I sought Him, but I found Him not. I sought Him, but I found Him not. What should you think and do if he does not overwhelm you immediately? Would the Lord ever play a little hard to get? Do I need to remind you of these words? Syro-Phoenician woman. Does that help you? How long did Jacob have to wrestle? Was it one round of two minutes? Was it two rounds of three minutes? Or was it till the break of day, all night. Review the points thus far. Let's go back and ask this question. What should you think and do if God does not immediately overwhelm you? Go back and review the points that I've just covered and be transparent before Him and come clean. Make sure you're not playing any games with Him. And then ask yourself, are you an Orpah or a Ruth when it comes to a little dissuasion? Naomi said, girls, I don't have any men for you. I'm too old. It's too late. Why don't you go back to your people? Was that good enough for Orpah? Bye-bye, Mom. What did Ruth do with that information? 
do not do this to me and stop talking that way. Your God's going to be my God, your people, my people, and where you're buried, I'm going to be buried. If, if you're an orphan, you just give up because he's not a bubblegum machine for you. He knew that you thought he was a bubblegum machine, so he's going to prove that he's not by not giving you the bubblegum for your five minutes. I sought him, but I found him not. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. But he will draw nigh to you in his timing. But I want to tell you, his timing is loving and kind and merciful and long-suffering and gracious and gentle. But he is not going to respond to someone who thinks, I'll give it a five-minute shot or I'll add a sentence to my prayer before meals. Be like Jacob and be like Peter towards setbacks. The Lord touched the thigh of Jacob. His hips went out of joint. His thigh, his thigh was out of joint. Things went from bad to worse. And then the Lord said to him, Listen, day's about to break and I need to be on my way. I need to go. Let me go. What did Jacob say? Where is that little man that told me the answer this morning? I will not let you go until you bless me. What was that for? He was afraid of his brother. Big whoop de doo In comparison, in comparison to walking with God and the Lord Jesus Christ. How about Peter? Jesus said twice, No man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And then in John chapter 6, he talked about that he had been in heaven and now he was on earth. And he just said some things about eating his flesh and drinking his blood that just drove the crowd crazy. And so they all turned and left. And Jesus turned to the disciples and said, Will you go away also? And then Peter, under the inspiration and blessing of the Holy Spirit, said, We believe and art persuaded that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Peter wasn't going to give up with the Lord, trying to almost encourage him to go away. This is taught in detail. This point on this slide was taught in detail. It's on the website, Seek Ye My Face. God withdraws to see if we will pursue him. Summary of how to, very quickly. Draw nigh by cleansing and purification, according to James 4. Be zealous about the matter and repent. Remember, repent, and do the first works. Search for him with all your heart. Confess your sins with a broken heart. Beg for it with effectual, fervent prayer. Take words of Scripture with you when you go to Him in prayer. Pray directly to the Lord Jesus Christ for the need of fellowship with Him. Believe as much with as much faith as you can. And with what you don't have, say, Lord, help my unbelief. Add fasting to your praying for earnestness. Love and obey as Jesus taught for God and the Father to love you and to come to you Give up grieving and quenching the Spirit. Think about every input in your life and what inputs in your life grieve or quench the Holy Spirit of God. Love the brethren abundantly. Go out of your way to love them because God is love. Delight in God and delight in God's things that He delights in. And do not let difficulty hinder you. What's at stake? The Laodiceans Laodiceans thought that all was well. And Jesus said, I will spew you out of my mouth because you are lukewarm and you make me sick. That's at stake. Jesus offered to come in and sup with any man, which has overwhelmed us. 
in the last eight days, including today. That's at stake. Ephesus could be filled with all the fullness of God. That's at stake. Most Christians are never taught it. Most Christians never obtain it. You, my brethren, will choose today and tomorrow what's important to you. My hands are clean. I have preached to you the Word of God last Lord's Day, this Lord's Day. On this subject, it's probably time for me to return to the book of Romans. You've been warned. You've been taught. I've been warned. I've been taught. The Word of God has spoken to us. You will choose what's important to you. You have 168 hours in a week. It's amazing how they can all be consumed in things that will never make it past one second after your death. We need a place for this kind of fellowship. We need the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to open to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will come in. We need to draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to us. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.